Welcome to the 13th episode of the Invincibly Supermassive Comic Book Podcast of Stuff. I'm Tony Guerrero, the editor-in-chief of Comic Vine. And with me this week is the writer of Astonishing X-Men, Marjorie Liu. How are you Hi. doing? <laughs> so you're, you are um, the first female comic creator that I've had on the show. Well, that's – well, I'm honored. <laughs> so so <laughs> making history here. And, and you know, hey. some people are probably saying it's about time. <laughs> So, so how how you doing? I'm great. How about you? Pretty good. So, Astonishing X-Men. Yeah. So, um, what is issue 38? No, 58? 58. 58. Mm-hmm. So, that just came out. So, you you just um wrapped up a two two story or two issue arc on on Warbird. Yes. So, I and I I, I think we talked briefly, like unofficially, like not not in an interview where you mentioned that you really liked the character. Yeah, actually, I do love her character. And it's funny because when I first heard about this new Shi'ar warrior that was um, that was joining the X-Men, I was like, oh, OK, you know, it didn't make much of an impression. Da, 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 da. But then um, but then I started reading her and you know, I started reading her in Jason Aaron's book. And there was just something, you know, it, how it, it's hard to explain, but there are some characters where when you read them, you just you see the possibilities in them. You know, the writer, Jason, just put those little nuances in that made her come alive for me. And so I really, um, I was just, I was taken, you know. I could see that there were a lot of different directions you could, you could, you could take this character. And, uh, and then I, I had sort of behind-the-scenes knowledge of her interest in art, of this sort of hidden history of hers. And that was just another another spark that I latched onto. Now, um, so in, in Wolverine the X-Men, you know, she was a kid gladiator's bodyguard. Yes. And, and he was forced to leave the school, leave Earth during Avengers X-Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warbird was told she had to stay behind to do, you know, fulfill her destiny or whatever. Um, <laughs> the <big laughs> fulfill your destiny, my dear. <laughs> now, uh, how did this decision? I mean, I don't know if if there, I'm I'm assuming there's more to Kid Gladiator story that hopefully we'll see him because I I know he was a likable character. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any say like when this when Kid Gladiator was getting pulled from the book? Like I want to keep Warbird. Or no, I mean there was no uh, no. I, I mean I didn't I we didn't we didn't sit down and have a discussion about that or anything like or anything of the sort. Um, uh, but. Um, I did, I did ask, I said, well, you know, is, is Warbird leaving the planet? And they said, no. And I was like, well, good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> now you keep playing with her good enough for me. <laughs> so that, that's the other thing. How, how is it that you were allowed? And I'm thankful. How, how were you allowed to keep astonishing X-Men going and not have it relaunched as part of Marvel now? Um, that, I don't know, to be honest, again, there was no real discussion. No one, no one came and asked, you know, what I thought about this or if I want to be part of Marvel now. Um, I think that the books that were chosen were part of a sort of a larger, a larger plan. And Astonishing too has always been that one X-Men book that sort of, 
lies on the edges of things. Mm-hmm. And so it does its, its it tells its own stories. It you know it, it does its own it does its own thing, and it's um, while also being part of this you know the, the Marvel universe. And so it makes sense to me that it wasn't that it wasn't part of Marvel now. Yeah. So I mean that that was what what I noticed when I read the book is you know I I love the X Men you know as, as much as everyone else, but there are a lot of X Men books. And what's what's nice about yours is it does feel like it's in its own little corner, mm-hmm. even though you know Wolverine is you know everywhere, not as much as he used to be, <laughs> and you know even Gambit, you know he's got his own book and you know he he pops up here and there. So it's it's great that you know while continuity is important, we like to see the interaction. I mean, it's great that like you know your book, you can just read that and kind of forget or just put all the other ones on hold. You know, you don't need to worry about them. Thank you. No, it's, it's, I will say the one thing that we've, um, the one thing I've really tried to do with this book, I mean, everyone comes to the X-Men or any, any story, any character with their own voice and their own sort of, you know, sense of, of what they want this to look like. But for me, I mean, I've always been very invested in characters and very invested in sort of telling, telling stories that, that illuminate characters and, you know, sometimes it, it works better than others sometimes. I mean, like, I, you know, it's not always a it's not always a hundred percent thing. But but I did want I did want this book to, to I, I want to tell stories about men and women who have powers and have these crazy obligations. But that at the same time, they're also just living their lives. You know, they are the X-Men, but they're also people. And in the midst of all these battles and, you know, the, this, you know, these, all these crazy events that happen, these are still, these are still people. These are still people. And, um, and that's what I try to focus on when I tell this, when I, when I tell each story, when I, when I try to build these arcs. And it's taken a a little bit for me because this was the first team book that I've had a chance to write. I mean, I did do a, a group book with NYX. But it was very, but it was a smaller, it was a little smaller scale. It just had a different feel. You know, it's one thing to write NYX and then, and then another thing to write, to approach the X-Men. And so, um, so it took, it took a little bit of getting used to, you know, trying to find the right rhythm and, and, and get a feel for, for how I should structure everything. But, um, but yeah, I don't even know where I'm going with this now. Now I'm just beginning to ramble. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, like I've just, you know, I've just tried to combine what what I feel is is very attractive about writing a group series with with what I also love, what I loved writing about solo books. You know, all those little individual character moments, all those, you know, emotionally satisfying beats that sort of hit the heart. Now is is uh, the team roster staying the same? I you know it's 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 going to rotate, and by when I say rotate, I mean it's going to rotate in a fairly organic manner. It's, I'm not going to you know characters aren't just going to disappear left and right without an explanation, but it, it's going to feel natural. You know everyone has their job. So in issue fifty nine, that was in fifty yeah. So in fifty seven, for example, fifty seven and fifty eight, you see. A bit of Gambit, you see a bit of Cecilia, you see a bit of North Star and Kyle. Sort of these little moments that are they're there in the universe. You they're not going away. And just these little these glimpses. 
you know, to keep them alive. And then, like, you see more, like, in issue 59, that's, kind of, that's um, sort of like a prologue to the crossover. Again, you see glimpses of Kyle and Northstar and Cecilia. Um, sort of keeping them grounded with the team so that they're still present. They're present in a very organic, natural way. So that way when when I do, like in upcoming arcs, when these characters become, you know, when I need to tell their stories, it won't feel strange that all of a sudden, oh, like where were they? You know, that they were present all along and now I can naturally pull them back into the story. Okay. Um, I, we should also mention you were um, nominated for a, a GLAAD award. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that's great. When, when, when will that be decided? Or... Oh, I have no idea. Because yeah, <laughs> right, right now I'm trying to look I up. No I mean, I, I only found out about, about the nomination uh, via Twitter because someone congratulated me. I, I had no idea I was even nominated, um, that the book was nominated. And um, I mean, that was a real that was a that was a real honor for all of us um, who worked on Astonishing X Men. And uh, um, but no, as far as as far as when it's announced, all of that, I have no clue whatsoever. So, um, so, so Kyle and Northstar, people as, as they should know, they're they're married, mm-hmm. and um, it looks like uh, Northstar's got a little problem he's got to deal yes. with. Yes, and the problem is that um, that he might be deported. <laughs> he is here in this country illegally, and uh, our our government has is taking special notice of of the superheroes that are here illegally. They're not; they don't think it's cute anymore. And um, and so, yeah, he even though he's married, the, the federal government doesn't doesn't uh, recognize um, gay marriage, mm-hmm. and so he. Uh, yeah, he he might have to leave. He might have to go back to Canada. Yeah, because that's interesting. Because so, um, I'm I'm not up on on which state is, but I'm assuming the state of New York, um, recognizes the marriage. Yes. So but the federal government's a yeah state state laws and federal federal laws. It's a um, it's a it's a bit of a tricky thing. So, so yeah, New York State recognizes gay marriage, but the federal government, for the purposes of immigration, does not. Yeah, so that's that's it's it's it, it's it's a great thing when. You can touch on you know the little tiny details you know like this because um, mm-hmm. what so you you are a lawyer yes which I don't know if, if everyone knows that I mean you you have like this not not necessarily a crazy background but it's like it's almost <laughs> like you've you've done so much so um, did you are are you doing like research on on the, the legalities of all this I mean I've had to um, and which isn't to say I mean laws change at, at all the time and there's always um, how shall I put this? Um, despite my research, there's always there's always a chance I get something wrong. But yes, I do my best to be accurate <laughs> when I'm researching the law. Well, you can also <laughs> details that I put. Yeah, <laughs> you just just say you know you're you're looking at the ma- the, the law in the Marvel universe, so it's you yeah, know, it can be a little yeah, different. Exactly. Thanks. Actually, that's a really that's a really beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> our our real world real world laws don't necessarily apply to the Marvel U. I can make up what I want. <laughs> Because it's like um, someone had asked me a question um, about like DNA and, you know, all the CSI work and how come that, that's not used to uncover the identities of, of heroes and villains. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when they get in a fight, you know, there's usually blood around so they can try to, you know, check that out. And 
And so like what I said is, is part of it is, you know, you have to have that suspension of disbelief where, yeah. you know, they're not going to be scooping up every samples and all that. But um, that's a really good point, though. But it, it was actually it was an, um, an issue of Batwoman where um, Flamebird, um, Batwoman's kind of protege at the time, she she got really beat up. She was in the hospital and they, they tried figuring out, you know, who she was, just to, the contact mm-hmm. or whatever. And this one agent was like after um, Batwoman. But th- there was no records because Batman had wiped, you know, and anyone who was close to Batman was an associate. I guess he wiped them from the system. I love that. So, so there's like no no records of it. But you know, I always wonder because I think it was um, CSI New York where there was this you know, that that was I, I never watched that show. But there's this one investigator. She had all this like crazy hair. And and she's doing all these experiments, and I always thought it's like, shouldn't she be wearing like a hairnet or something? <laughs> You'd think because I have to say I'm no I'm no expert in 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 forensics, but that does seem like a no brainer. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just crazy, you know, doing all this stuff, and then she, yeah, so that's just <laughs> interesting. I mean, I always I, I, there's there's also this this book that that um my my wife got me. Uh, it's, it's the the law of superheroes or something like that. And it, oh, I've never heard of that. Um, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll, I'll get them the name and author and I'll send it to you. Oh, thank but um, you. Um, like one thing is like, is it a violation of Superman's civil rights if someone tries to uncover a secret identity? And oh gosh, what a question! And I I wrote an article before about like um, just how superheroes break laws. You know, it's assault and battery, or you know, mm-hmm. Batman and the Batmobile. It's reckless driving, and then you know, there's child endangerment. So it's like you know, they're they're breaking all these laws left and right, and well. You know, it, the thing is, for example, like at the beginning of issue 59, Northstar is sitting down with She-Hulk. I mean, She-Hulk is his, is his immigration lawyer. And she's telling him, listen, man, like, do you even have a passport? Like, you feel, because you can fly, because you have superpowers, you feel, you don't even think about borders. You just fly over them. You know, you're in a totally different world than most people. And you take it, to- you take it completely for granted. Um, you know, you feel because of your powers, because of the things you've done, because of the things you can do, you know, you, you feel entitled to just being wherever you want that, you know, you'll be welcome wherever you go. And that's just not the case. And she's pointing these things out to him that he's never really had to sit down and think about, but they have real world consequences for him and Kyle because Kyle, you know, Kyle's an American and he was in Canada all that time because of Kyle, but I mean, because of North star, but he likes, you know, he's, he likes being in America. He's settled into New York and the possibility of having to leave America to go back to Canada. And now that he finally is beginning to feel like he's made a home for himself, that's a, that's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. That's a really hard thing. So what about Wolverine? I mean, does he have, cause he's Canadian. I yeah. Mean, does he, does he <laughs> have some, a special work visa or? You know, that's, uh, we haven't touched, we, we haven't touched on Wolverine status. That's a very good question. I mean, he's, I assume, I'm going to assume because Wolverine is a world traveler and we've seen him going through airports before and in customs and earlier incarnations of the X-Men that he has a passport at the very least. But, but so it's, <laughs> it's you know, he would have to have a visa or whatever to yeah. you know, state and, and can he run his own school if he's not, a, you know, a citizen I'm going – let's just say for the sake of simplicity <laughs> that that there is a team of lawyers somewhere that that the school – that Xavier School for, for young mutant youngsters – I think I just said something redundant <laughs> – has, um, 
um, has has worked out all those issues. And it was probably before when Warren still had his mind and had his yes. his board and of Xavier directors still alive and and yeah, exactly. Because I think that's what Xavier did in the beginning. He he, he was more manipulative back then. Yeah, I, I think when I think it was in the giant size X Men when he went to Department H to get Wolverine. I don't know if he kind of hinted because it seemed like he used his powers a lot more in the beginning without you know revealing that he was a mutant so right. he, he was a little shady back then yeah <laughs> now um of course we got to ask x23 yes so I, and that that was that was one of the like the comments that that someone asked if if um i was going to bring that up so the but the the series um do you still get people bringing it up all the time because like how long has it been now it's been over a year I think I think it has been over a year, and um, and yeah, actually, people still bring up X twenty three, and I I won't lie, I miss writing her character. I mean, she was a really she was really fun to work on, but it's um, but I mean, she's been handled. I mean, she's just been handled beautifully, and by um, by Christos Gage, and I'm I'm enjoying like I'm really I'm looking forward to seeing how her story plays out in in uh, Avengers. Is it Avengers Arena? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, and I'm just, I'm tickled and I'm honored that people enjoyed, um, those, you know, her book while it was around. And cause, cause I, I think I told you before, you know, it was Craig Kyle and Chris Yost that, um, you know, really fleshed her out and, you know, created oh, her, yeah. but, Absolutely. but you, you took her over and, you know, you made her your own and, you know, you, you, I guess you kind of stole her from them, but. <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that, but cause she was, she, they were the ones who gave her life. They were the ones who gave her life. And I'd had the privilege. I had the privilege and honor of, of just, you know, taking a character that they had created and, and molded and just sort of, you know, seeing what happened. Sort of, you know, t- putting my, putting my spin on a, on a, on a, on an abused teenage girl, you know, how is, how is a teenage girl who's been locked away and brainwashed, how is this girl going to react when she's out in the real world? You know, how does, how does that affect her ability to choose and make her own life? And, and these are questions that a lot of girls face. It's not just X-23. A lot of girls feel, you know, they grow up feeling like they're in a very controlled environment or they have to be one way, you know, as opposed to another that, you know, their lives are already laid out for them, you know, and, uh, and how, how do girls, how do, how does anyone sort of grow up and find find their way and find the courage and the sort of the self-awareness to make their own choices and, and follow their own lives. And it's it's a it's it's a common it's the it's the sort of it's it's one aspect of the universal journey, let's put it that way. <laughs> and X twenty three just happens to be a, a character who's on the extreme of that. Because, you know, of course we're not we're not raised in labs. Although I'm sure some people feel like they are. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, a lot of people are pretty upset over um, Avengers Arena. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because the, the way they're looking at it is, you know, all these char- you know, a lot of characters from Avengers Academy, you know, so they, they grew to know them and like them. And now what it appears from from our perspective from the reader's perspective that here's all these these characters just being pitted against each other to to get killed 
And so, you know, a lot of people are, I mean, it, it, it's, it's unfortunate. I, I totally understand where, where they're coming from. You know, if you, you love a character, you don't want to see anything bad happen to him. But before the book even came out, um, cause I, I think I, I, I reviewed it, um, the Monday before it came out mm-hmm. and the comments were just, just, you know, people hadn't even read it yet and they're already, yeah. you know, um, you know, getting the, the torches and everything. But what we do know <laughs> is, um, cause the, the very first page, it, it, it's supposed to be 30 days and I think mm-hmm. it started on day 29. So we know Laura makes it to day 29, right? which, 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 <laughs> you know, makes sense that, but so yeah, that's that's. But then on the other hand, you know, people, it's it's comic books, so people die, you know. They... Well, yeah, but also it's again, it's yeah, it's it's a comic book, and and of course I'm rooting for Laura, but I'm rooting for all these characters, and I think people need to be patient and just let the book progress, follow the book, you know, to the end, and just see. I think people. I I mean I've, you know I've I've read. Let's see, I think they they always send us they send us some of the issues sometimes ahead of time. But I've read up to issue four or five, and it's it's a really good book. Like I'm enjoying it, and um, and I'm very very curious to see where it goes. So I think I think readers just need to be patient and just go with the flow instead of you know the 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 gnashing of teeth and the what was it what was they said in Conan like the the lamentation of the women. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, like uh, I think it was. I forget which issue it was, if it was three or four, where Darkhawk apparently, you know, dies. It's, it's not a spoiler. But then he's also on the cover for the next issue. So it's like maybe he didn't. And Yeah, yeah, again, I, I think I think this is a book that's that again people have to have patience with because um and not and not just assume things. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone should assume anything about this book because um I think there's going to be a lot of surprises in store and a lot of uh I, I yeah, I just um, and what can I say? I <laughs> well, you don't don't say anything that you. Yeah, you know, exactly. But um, one of the the uh, a theory I've seen a couple times where people are saying, well, maybe all this is just a virtual world, and you know, since it's arcade, and you know, they're not, mm-hmm. and I, I could see that where maybe at the last minute they're being teleported out, and maybe he's using some holograms or other whatever special effects. It was and, all a dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess it would be more like if if there's like a splatter of blood and guts flying around, you know, he could somehow put some, I mean, if he has a, a, a volcano elevator or whatever in the first issue where, you know, mm-hmm. he, I'm sure he can fake it, but um, yeah. So I, I, I kind of see where it's, it's hard to read it. Cause you know, when I saw dark Hawk possibly dying, I was like, I don't want to see that. But on the other hand, it's like, I'm curious to see where it's going to go. Cause you, you know, it can't just be a book about killing all these characters. You know, there oh, has to be, yeah. A hook, you know. There's there's something else to it, right? And you know, it's the same thing with with Spider Man. You know, people were you know irate, flipping oh out. Oh my gosh, the hate mail that Dan was getting. <sighs> I was like, and this was even before I, I didn't even know what was going on because I'm 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 really in my own little world and I'm just on there. I'm just on Twitter minding my own business and I'm just seeing all this crazy all these crazy messages coming at Dan. I'm like, hey, what happened? Like what? Ha- like what? What did you do? Did you you know? Did you like kick a kitten or something? And just even me asking the question, like people got mad at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, don't you know? Yeah, I mean, because when when I started reading comics, it was Spider Man and Batman, and right. you know, I I just started getting you know every single I I probably I, I'm sure I've read every single issue of Spider Man. I love the character, but 
you know, I also like the Clone Saga, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm I I think maybe because I've been reading for so long that I know things usually you know return to the status quo, and right. you know, it is a story. And with someone like like Spider Man, you know, he's Marvel's biggest character. There's no way they're going to do these you know such a drastic change, right? And and then and then when Superior Spider Man number one came out, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, you know, I'm I'm on board again. So it's mm-hmm. so it's 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 weird. That, I mean. I guess people now with the internet, they're just so immediately, you know, they they can just vent right away yeah. and, you know, there, there's no filter. So, I mean, it's good and bad, but it's like. Well, I, I'm just happy people are passionate about the books, though. Yeah. I mean, people are really passionate about these characters and that's beautiful because, you know, in, in I mean, how, how many, how many areas of, of, in publishing can we say that people are so passionate about story? Yeah. You know, it's this is I me. Mean, it's it's wonderful. And it's it's just crazy how, you know, that the early leaks, which were, you know, extremely unfortunate. But it's like, you know, that doesn't happen that often. And mm-hmm. even when it when it comes to like superhero movies, it's like mm-hmm. that's where you, you see all the spy footage. And, you know, people are trying to it's like, you know, if Brad Pitt's doing a movie. You might get the paparazzi, but, you know, you don't see a lot of that, you know, people trying to sneak pictures of it. But, right. You know, if, when Avengers 2 starts filming, you know, people are going to, you know. Oh. Try to you know get any shot they can. Mm-hmm. So it, it's 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 great. I mean, I love it. I love that there's so much interest in comics because you know I I want I always say I, I want the the industry to, th- to thrive so I can keep my job right. and you know, keep you know reading and writing about comics. And you know I I, I love teaching, but I, I'm not looking to go back anytime what soon. Do you teach? I I taught high school math. Oh. That's great, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, I I taught. I had a, a wide variety, and I, I taught like you know, beginning algebra up to like pre-calculus and AP statistics, and I mean, it, it was fun. But right. there's a lot of politics, you know, parents and administration, you know, just you know, there there's that some some parents had that that sense of entitlement, you know, they mm-hmm. they have a bit of income, so they they feel you know if their, their kid's not cutting it, they should get a break and it's just like mm-hmm. you know and me being a math you know it was all about the numbers you know so it's right. like if someone had a a 66 percent that's a solid d you know there's there's mm-hmm. no rounding it up to you know c minus or anything mm-hmm. so so yeah it, it it my my last year teaching it it was easy to make the decision to, to <laughs> i'm to, done yeah because i mean like i said i i love the kids and everything and but there's just these one parents and it's just it burns one, you out yeah yeah. Now, um, let's shift this back towards you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've I've talked about this before, and, and you know, people they were like, "We've heard you talk about teaching before." Um, but I want to talk about about Dokken. Okay. Um, so you you worked on him for a bit with, with, with yes. Daniel Way, mm-hmm. and you you had a, a, a I'd say a strong hand in, in helping to shape him as well. Um, mm-hmm. what what is it about the character that appealed to you? Oh gosh! I mean, I don't even know where to start. He was just so bad. He was so bad, so <laughs> bad. I loved him. Um, you know, he was. I always felt like that deep down, deep at the core of him, there was the possibility. There was this. There was just the possibility he might be a good guy. That he he could be redeemable. And by redeemable, I don't mean like by, you know, like any Pollyanna standard, but I just mean by the standard that that says, you know, that he has some sort of moral moral fiber, you know, some 
some code of honor. And uh, but also it was just his playfulness, his wickedness, his his sort of he was a psychopath, but he was a psychopath with a sense of humor. And it was very and then but then also you'd see like now I mean I could go on and on and on. (laughs) It gets boring after a while. But um, no, he was just fun. He was a fun character to write because even as we were writing him, uh, even as we were planning out stories, Dan and I would be like, okay, we, we wouldn't always know what was going to happen, you know, until just the second all of a sudden we'd be like, well, okay, we'd be, you know, plotting along, writing something, and then just an idea would hit us. And we would say, yeah, he would totally do that, and that's wild, and let's just, let's just make it happen. Because with him, you could have him be good, you could have him be evil, you could have him be gay, you could have him be straight. I mean, he was just the the most perfectly flexible character. But for his character, it always made sense. It wasn't like we were we were reaching and and doing things that that were um, that were outside his you know outside his character lines because he was just so smart and so flexible and just so you know um, just so you know just morally ambiguous that that as a writer he was just a joy because literally you could take him down any path could you have, have ever seen him like you know finally saying okay i'm gonna be a good guy yeah maybe in like a couple hundred well it depends i don't think anytime soon i don't i think it would take it would take some sort of massive massive um sort of internal awakening for that to happen anytime soon and i i I would see sort of his his redemption happening over centuries as opposed to decades. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's I, – I think he's kind of um, – he is unapologetically set in his ways when it comes to sort of being up yours and evil. Um, and so I – but I, I think the possibility is there, but I don't think it would be something that, that, that you could expect anytime soon. Especially since – Rick Remender decided yeah, uh-huh. to put an end to it. So have you talked to Rick about that? Oh, no. But it's, um, but you know, again, this is, these are the comics. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing Wolverine upset with that, you know, dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just comic book death. He'll, he'll be back. I mean. Yeah, I don't know. If, I mean, I don't know if he'll be back, but, um, but I would say that I, I don't think you can ever count anyone truly out. I always tell people it's like, you know, and especially with, with DC, New 52, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, where's Cassandra Kane? Where's Stephanie Brown? You know, where's Wally West? And, you know, so I don't have any answers, you know, when they ask me about it. But I, I always tell them that these are all characters that the publishers can potentially make money off of. You know, mm-hmm. they're not going to throw any character away for whatever reason, you know, if they don't like it, the character, or right. you know. So if, if a character dies, they're going to come back. Yeah, in some way or some fashion. So how do you feel about, about writing death? I mean, do you think it, it's a, a good um, plot device or, you know, do you think it's too cliche? You know, it, oh, no, I don't think – I mean, everyone dies. I mean, there's – I mean, I guess in that sense, because everyone dies, it's, that's the ultimate – that's the ultimate cliche. But it's also the ultimate truth. And it's um, – and I think that with these characters, if it served the story, if it served – um, if it wasn't just sort of an extravagant um, way of uh, how shall I put it, 
if it isn't used cheaply, then I think Just it's a stunt. Yeah, as a stunt. I, but I think that it's. I have no. I have no. Um, I have no problem writing it at all, as long as it's, you know, as long as it, it really served the story and had some sort of meaning. Um, you know, I've written plenty of death in my novels, and always it, it's, it has to be for a good reason. It has to serve some larger goal and and not be just some not act as some cheap cheap way to create motivation for your character because like like when you kill someone just because you want your main character to suddenly um feel vengeance or to jumpstart their story i think that's always sort of a a cheap way out yeah because you know a lot of people complained about um like when human torch was killed in in fantastic Mm -hmm. four but I thought, you know, Jonathan Hickman did a, a great oh, job. I thought he did a beautiful job. Yeah, and it's just just because, you know, you, you know that the character, you know, someone like the Human Torch, you know, he's not going to be dead forever and everything. Mm-hmm. But it was just uh, seeing the reaction of everyone. I mean, yeah. it was just, you know, such. No, that was done so beautifully. Um, no, you're right. Uh, and and it served and it served the story in a very, very real way. And it had long, long-term consequences that created um just a very interesting dynamic within the book after that and yeah. it was just a it was really really beautifully done and it even carried over into spider-man you know we, we saw yeah, some some reaction there so absolutely so i mean that that's how i look at it and i mean and going with with spider-man now where you know is spider-man dead and and mm-hmm. all that but it's just like you know it's it's a story you know it's, yeah it's, it's Probably not going to happen. My theory is that Peter Parker didn't die. Ooh, that he's taking a break. <laughs> no, because so the the idea was Doc Ock somehow made them switch. You know, right. so it's kind of you know we people say it's like Freaky Friday. Mm-hmm. But what he did is he he copied the brain patterns and insert. So he Doc Ock put his brain patterns into Spider Man's and then vice versa. Right. I don't see, and I know we're talking about comic book logic and technology and all that, but I don't see how copying the brain patterns would make them switch bodies. So what I'm thinking is the the superior Spider-Man that we have now that's supposedly Doc Ock in Spider-Man's body, okay. it's really Peter being influenced by Doc Ock's memories. Oh. So he thinks he's really Doc Ock in Spider-Man's body, but it's it's not. And so that's the a really great way of looking at it. I mean that that's that's the way you know, I, I see how you can get around it. I, I kind of see it like um, you know when people are drunk and they they do things that they wouldn't normally do. Mm-hmm. You know they're under the influence of alcohol. So if Spider Man's being a little violent or a little little you know shady or whatever, it's because he's under the influence of Doc Ock's memories. But mm-hmm. to me, I think that that's. I'm also kind of looking at it. You know, I'm overanalyzing, of course. Is <laughs> I mean that that's that's my job. People get on my case sometimes that you know I, I get too whatever intricate on all this, but because this made such news, eventually when he comes back, I, you know I, I could see Marvel releasing a press release or you know USA Today or whoever covering it, and you know because the, the other theory is you know there there's hints of of the possibility of a, the ghost of Peter Parker somehow being there because uh. and all this and if if they. Try if you try telling a non-comic book reader, yeah, the ghost of Peter Parker was able to come back in his body, and you know, people are gonna be like, okay, you know, they're they're not gonna gonna buy that, but right. So I don't know that that's that's my theory, and that that's why I can read these stories and enjoy it and know that it's you know 
it's going against the idea of what who Spider-Man's supposed to be, but mm-hmm. you know, we'll just enjoy it while it while it happens. <laughs> um so there was um Kevin Ringley wanted to know um where you would have taken the X twenty three series if it didn't get canceled. Oh, that's a good question. Um I had planned because I knew that she was going to be joining um, the Young Avengers, and so I had planned on taking her out west, but having her go, having Black Widow come into the book and take over the role of mentor, and so Black Widow would have started training um, X twenty three, and they probably would have gone on like a mission together, and then there was another. What was the other thing? It's been a while. Um, yeah, I have to say, I, I think the Black Widow, the Black Widow arc would have definitely been next. And I was really looking forward to writing that. Wow. And then I think at some point I would have brought Jubilee back into the book, um, and continued, um, sort of, I would have had them go on another, on another mission together. Yeah, Cause I was just gonna say you're, you're, uh, when you worked on the Black Widow series, um, she's a complex character and we, we've seen different yeah. versions and, and I, I think, you know, I was like, I, I love what you did with the character and thank you now just to think about it, it's, it's almost like, like twisting the knife. It's like you know, <laughs> black widow and X 23 is like, Oh, I mean, maybe no, they, would have, they would have been really good together because black widow didn't grow up in the same way X 23 did, but she certainly knows what it's like to be trained to be a mm-hmm. weapon. She has also had a very traumatic childhood. And so, and, and she's a woman. Yeah. And so there, there's a lot of points of similarity there and ways she could have reached out to X-23 and sort of brought her to the next stage of, of her growth um, in ways that I, that I couldn't envision really anyone else doing because they just – they would be able to speak a common language, um, sort of that common language of lost youth, um, violence, control, all of that. And – it would have been really, I was really looking forward to exploring their characters and, and seeing how, seeing how X-23, seeing what X-23 would bring out of Black Widow and how Black Widow would be changed by being with, with X-23 and how X-23 would be changed by, by Black Widow's presence, by the presence of this, of this woman that, um, you know, sees so much promise in her. Oh man, you gotta, who do you talk to? You talk to Nick Lowe? You gotta, Get, get, get some, someone's got to let you do this because well we'll see i mean you, you never know how things work out in these books and if she survives avengers arena oh i'm rooting for <laughs> now um so I, I everyone should know by now so the i think the first time you touched on superheroes was in the x-men novel dark mirror yes mm-hmm. um now you are also you're a new york times best-selling author <laughs> have have you have you thought of ever doing another comic novel? I mean, I don't even know if if, if they they still do those. If, you know what the demand is for them. Uh, you know, I don't know if they still do them or not. I'll be honest; I actually am not sure. At this point, probably not. I would be more tempted to do like a sort of a creator-owned independent graphic novel, or just write just a gosh, just a regular novel. Um, to be honest, um, but I loved writing Dark Mirror. Um, that was my first, I love, see, the thing is when I, I loved reading the X-Men. I loved, loved, loved my superheroes. I love the X-Men. I love the Marvel universe. And so when I had the chance to write that novel, it was such a special thing. It was such, 
a special thing for me to be able to step into that world and write the X-Men. Um, and then to have that sort of be my, my foot in the door for the rest of Marvel for writing the comic books was just a, an amazing thing. And I, I have to say, I don't think, I don't think that experience could be duplicated. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be, to be asked to do another, to do another X-Men novel would be, um, not that I wouldn't be happy for the invitation, but I'm not sure I would do it again just because it's, that was sort of a one-time, very special experience. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I assume it's 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 more rigorous to to write a novel versus a comic script because you yeah. have you don't have the visuals. You know, you have to you you're responsible for conveying all the thoughts and everything. Where in a comic, you know, you you can work with the artist and you know try. Yes, to- yes, it is more rigorous. That's a really good way of putting it, um, and it certainly takes longer. Um, there's much more investment in time and sort of brain power and no, not brain power. But what I mean is like when I say, when I use the term brain power, I mean, because it is, you are responsible for visualizing everything for the reader. You are responsible for bringing them into that world. So you're not part of a team. You're just working solo. And it's, it's, it's a different, it's a, it's a very different situation. Um, but it's one that I love. You know, I, I'm a novelist first. I love, I love that format. I love telling stories in the long form in prose. Um, I also love telling stories in, in sort of the the graphic novel format in comic book style. But it's it's a totally different animal. So, when are you, do you have ideas for something creator owned? Oh yeah, sure. So when are we going to see that? I don't know. <laughs> I have plenty of ideas. My goal is I'm working on a novel right now, and my goal is to finish this book. I just want to get this book done, 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 done. I want to get it out of my way and then, you know, get the slate just sort of cleared, cleared away. And then I'll, I'm going to start planning out the next um, the next year of projects. And one of those will include a, a creator-owned graphic novel. No one may want to read it, but that's my oh, plan. To at least write it. People will read it. <laughs> of course, they'll read it. So you you have what two two different um, series of novels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I mean, it. You know, you you, you do the romance novels, and you do the superhero stuff. So it's like, is there a balance between the two, or you know? In what way? I mean, how do you approach each each one? Because I mean, they're two different genres, and and yeah. A lot of comic books are like soap operas, mm-hmm. but I mean, is it, do you just put yourself in a different mindset when you're, you know? Yeah, basically I, I, I have to say it's pretty much as simple as, I mean, it's not simple, but it's for the, the short story is yes, I do put myself in a different mindset. Um, and it, it helps partially with the time of day. And by that, I mean, I generally write my novels in the morning where I work on my novels sort of when I first get up until lunchtime. And then in the afternoon, you know, I, I tackle the comics. And that isn't that isn't always the case, you know, all the time. But what I found is sort of separating my day, it, it, it creates a natural transition from one project to another. Okay. Yeah, because before... Yeah, I know. I, it's, <laughs> no, I mean, because I... I... I can't imagine. I mean, because do you do you write like you know nonstop? Do you you know do you write I, at the same place? Do you? Well, no. I mean, I used. To, it's, it's interesting because I've I've moved around a lot in the past year. But I used to write just in one spot um, all the time, 
Um, and that did very well for me. And then I moved and uh, um, started splitting my time between um, Boston and New York. And I sort of had to to find again. I had to rediscover my writing space and my headspace. Um, and so now I just work at, in the mornings, I work at the library or a coffee shop. You know, I get myself out of the apartment, come back, and then get my day going you know, like that. Um, but, uh, but it just depends, you know, it's, this is not like a, the thing about being a writer is nothing set in stone as far as the way we work and the way we approach our projects. And some days you just feel like staying in your pajamas and, mm-hmm. and, you know, curl up in bed and working. Some days you feel like getting out of the house, whatever, trust me, when you're in the middle of a project, whatever whatever works you do you mm-hmm. are you are a slave to the words if the words if, if the story requires you to to do jumping jacks and a backflip on top of a car you will do it in order to in order to get the book done in order to meet your deadline and uh, that's just that's just the way it is because yeah, I, I i do a lot of my writing because when i do my my editorial articles whatever um i do them on on a ferry because I, I take a ferry to and from mm. the city and it's about like, you know, 40 minutes. And I, I find that I can just, unless there's a couple, I mean, I, I, I have a daughter, you know, I, I don't mind kids, but twice now there's been this, this, this father with these two girls and it's just distracting. And, you know, right. just, just with the, the noise and the fighting and it's just like, come on, dude, <laughs> it's like, you got to keep your kids in line. So, so I mean. <laughs> So um, I, I work from home on Tuesdays and, and that's where, you know, sometimes you just, you know, you, you, you know, like you say, in the pajamas, just working, just getting sucked in and just, just right. nonstop. And it's like, I got to walk away and, you know, yeah so it, I, yeah. I, I totally see that. Yeah. And, you know, for, for full-time writers, because we work at home, on one hand, it's a blessing because we get to work from home. But on the other hand, it's also, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because you also need to make sure that you're getting out and taking care of yourself and, and doing things because it's very, very easy just to become um, focused on that that one particular goal to the exclusion of all else. And suddenly you look up and maybe a month has gone by and, you know, you can't really account for any of it except you do have like a manuscript in front of you, which is good, but, you know, what happened to everything else? Yeah, because like when, when I've, first started at comic vine um you know i i had the option to like you know if you want you can just work from home but mm-hmm. I, was, I was like you know yeah that's great but you know it's like i i, I was like i want to come into the office and you know work and interact with the other people you know talk to the engineers and you know find out you know what new features are going on the site or you know if something broke you know i can right. tell them in person versus you know trying to im them and you know hopefully right. they'll they'll get back to me and so yeah it's i i, I do think it's important to just get up and walk around and so that that's the nice thing about being in the city is mm-hmm. you know you can just you know walk go around a block or something and yeah no it's great now how is it being a a female comic book writer what what how does do you feel any any obstacles or anything in the industry i mean have have things gotten better well i mean that's always a really hard question that's a really really hard question to answer because um me, I can speak from my own personal experience, which has been one of like at Marvel. I have always felt incredibly welcomed and safe, and like uh, you know, part of the team. Um, 
I have, you know, I've always worked with wonderful editors and wonderful artists, and I haven't felt at Marvel in any way stifled because of my gender. Um, but, but having said that, you know, it's it's when you look at the monthly tally of of the books that are coming out and how many are written by written and drawn by women um, at the big two, the number is very very low. I mean, it's just I mean, it's it's really 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 low. <laughs> well, and even even books featuring female characters. Yeah, it's really, really low. And so I I think, I mean, I'll be blind. Yes, I think there's room for improvement. I think that Marvel is doing, uh, I think Marvel is, 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 um, is pushing in the right direction. Um, I definitely feel that way. And I, I think that there's so many wonderful female creators, especially in the independents. Um, I mean, it's amazing. There's just, you know, a lot of really wonderful creators out there, but Again, you know, when you don't have, you know, women make up half of the imaginary of the world. You know, half mm-hmm. the world is made up of women. You know, half the imagine, half the imaginary of the world is female. And when that's not reflected in in publishing in any form, publishing not just in comics but um, in any genre, you know, you, there's there's a void. Whether or not people realize it, whether or not people realize that there's that there's a void there is one because you've lost half of half the voice of the world right there yeah. and so it's um i think it's important to keep that in mind you know when we think about when we think about gender when we think about um uh you know the female voice now do you um you know you you always hear about how there's there's almost like this this battle between male and female comic book readers, you know, there, there's the, the stereotype that, you know, girls don't read comics. Oh, I yes. Mean, <laughs> do, you, do you, do you, I mean, cause like, you know, my, my daughter's nine and, you know, she's been reading comics forever. And, um, do you ever come across that angle of it? Not, not as much as, I mean, I, re- I remember when I first started going to comic book stores, um, back when I was 18 or so, um, there were, I don't, I think it really was regional. I mean, it really depended on where you were because I'm sure there were some comic book stores where they had like truckloads of girls coming in. Um, it just so happened that the comic book store where I was at in Wisconsin didn't have truckloads of girls coming in, but you know, they were very nice. It wasn't like they were like, Ooh, you're a girl, you know, you shouldn't be in here. That never happened. Um, in fact, I would say that only happened, uh, that's only really happened. Well, no, it's happened to me a handful of times over the years where people made a big deal out of me being a girl in a comic book store which was always sort of weird um, because, um, well, I mean, I don't have to explain it. It was just weird. Uh, so, and I and I hear from other female readers still to this day, and and they still say that happens to them. But I think, I think that this it's 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 an unfortunate stereotype um, that is not it's not true. I mean, a lot of women. A lot of women read comics. Um, I would say a lot of women love superhero comics. Whenever we do the Women of Marvel panel at Comic-Con, it is full. I mean, it is packed to the gills. Not just with women, men too. But the women there are passionate. They are invested. They love their comics. They love their superheroes. And they are a, 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 they represent a much larger audience. Um, and people can pretend that it doesn't exist 
they can say, oh, it's, you know, the women are out there, women don't read comics, but let me tell you, that's just not true. Um, and a lot of those women, they want to write comics too. They're not just readers, they're, they're also um, artists and creators. Because yeah, um, Sarah, she, you know, she said that she's had that a couple times where, you know, she's gone to a comic store and, and they're just rude to her. Yeah. Which, yeah. It, it just doesn't make sense. It's like. Yeah. But. No, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's actually, it's, there is a, there is a very strange patronizing attitude that comes over some people um, when, when you don't fit. Patronizing isn't, isn't always the right word, but let's put it this way. If you don't fit the mold. Um, suddenly you become the other. And people have very strange reactions sometimes when dealing with the other. Now, um, so recently it was announced that uh, Brian Wood is going to be writing the X-Men series yeah. featuring oh, a gosh. all-female cast. cast. Amazing. So now, shouldn't is it like stereotypical if someone says, shouldn't you be writing that? Yeah, whatever. I mean, like, I, I – listen – when I first started reading comics, I remember this was way back when, and I recall reading an article. I think this was when Brian was still writing Generation X, and um, he was planning on writing an NYX series that starred Jubilee, Gambit, and Rogue. I mean, this is like ancient. This is really, really ancient. And I was so excited because I loved, I loved his Jubilee. And so for him to be bringing Jubilee back, in the X-Men, I don't care who's, I mean, I don't, trust me, I love Jubilee. I would love to be writing Jubilee. Don't get me wrong. But I love Brian Wood, and I think he's a wonderful storyteller. And I really am so excited that he's bringing that character back and putting her with an amazing team. I mean, this is, I'm I'm really looking forward to this book. Yeah, so, I mean, and now, I don't know if you know this, but so it, it's, it's just going to be X-Men, right? Yeah. Is it continuing the current X-Men series or it's are you going to restart it since it's Marvel now? I think it's that Marvel. I don't know. I, I don't those those are details that I'm just I'm not privy to. Can't keep track of all this. Yeah, I just I don't yeah. Um oh no, okay. I'm I'm just looking it up. So yeah, it's going to be X-Men number 1. Oh, okay. Well, all right. So, here we go. <laughs> and, yeah. So answer my own question. So yeah, so yeah, we got Jubilee, Shadowcat, which I love Shadowcat. Yes. And I want, and I hope he does it. I, I love when people acknowledge that she was a ninja, that, you know, she got trained. You what? Know. Kitty Pride was a ninja? Yeah. It was, so it was, it was like 1984, 85. There was this, it was a six issue mini It was Wolverine and Kitty Pride, or maybe it was Kitty Pride and Wolverine. I always mix it up. But, um, so there was this, this guy, Ogun, who was like from Wolverine's past. And, um, he was this shady, you know, Japanese crime lord guy, and Kitty's dad got involved with him. So he ends up going to Japan. Kitty hitched a ride on the plane. You know, she she pays onto the plane. So she's in Japan and all stuff. Then she ends up getting taken by Ogun, and she's like regressed to like an infant. What? And and it's probably like some psychological, like you know, weird you know, whatever ninja training something. So it's almost like you know she's regressed to an infant, and then it's so it's like she goes through a lifetime of training to become a ninja. And How then, did I not know this? <laughs> <laughs> you got to read it. It's it's one of my favorite series, and and you know this was like this was around um, it was like Uncanny X Men like one eighty three. It was right after um, Secret Wars when 
when Colossus had cheated on, on Kitty. So, you know, she was heartbroken and, you know, so she went off on this own adventure. It's in, and I think this is when she became shadow cat when she took on that name, but so she was trained to be a ninja and then she ends up, you know, cause Ogun wanted her to fight Wolverine and she ends up like taking like a, a katana, like through his heart. And this is like, like this is a visual. It's like, wow, she's stabbing Wolverine. And, and people don't really talk about that, that often. There was, there was an issue of Excalibur, um, I don't, it was Chris Claremont. I don't know if Alan Davis was on it where she was at a girl's school or something like that. And I remember they're like out in like in a soccer field or something like that. And then, you know, there's all these mean girls at the school, of course. And, and then she just kind of appeared, you know, she was standing there, but like didn't see her because she was able to use her ninja ability to, you know, not be seen or something like that. Wow. I just, I think more people should do, she should be able to, you know, kick butt because she's a ninja. I, I, I really desperately now want, I, yes, I'm with you. I desperately want to see that written to the book. <laughs> I had no idea, but that's an amazing backstory. And, and then, so you got Kitty Pride and Psylocke and Mohawk Storm and, and, yeah. and Rachel. I love Rachel too. She's, yes. she's great and rogue. So this is going to be quite a series. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. And yeah. also I think Jubilee, I mean, yeah. Back in the day, Jubilee and Rogue and Storm and I think even Psylocke, I mean, all of them were together. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have like a long, well, Kitty too, but they all have a long history. Yeah, that was um, the Mark, I think it was like Mark Sylvester, Jim Lee, like yeah, those, those yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dazzler was there and mm-hmm. yeah, so it's going to be fun. I mean, I think they were there when Jubilee was first introduced to the book, right? Yeah. They were all was, at a shopping mall? Yeah, they were in Australia yeah, and, and Gateway yeah. teleported so they can go shopping and then right. they, they left and then the, the portal stayed open a little bit longer. So she's like, should I do it? And she she jumped through and ended up in Australia. There we with go. Them. Yeah. All right. Um, I know you probably got to get going. Um, is there anything you want to add? So when, oh, gosh. So, so I mean, you have ahead. Astonishing X-Men. What, 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 what about your novels? Like, do you have anything coming out soon? No, actually, I don't. Um, I'm just writing this current one, which will be out some, hopefully sometime this year or early next. Any details on it? Have you? Yeah, it's called uh, Labyrinth of Stars. It's the fifth book in my Hunter Kiss series. And basically, it's about, see, it's the backstory of the Hunter Kiss series is that it's about a woman covered in living tattoos. And they peel off her body at night to form her own demonic army. Hmm. And so she's just this one. She's and during the day, while the tattoos are sleep, while the demons are sleeping on her, um, they they keep her absolutely invulnerable. A nuclear bomb could drop, and she wouldn't die. You know, she's for all intents and purposes immortal during the day, but at night she's completely vulnerable, except for the protection of these demons. And so there's been like it's it's sort of a, a long over the course of the series, more and more has been revealed about these demons and about the universe that she inhabits. And there's time travel, there's genetic engineering, there's, you know, quantum highways. Um, the demons aren't actually demons. They're aliens from other worlds that were um, sort of genetically engineered to be to be part of her body. I mean, it's just like part of, you know, passed down like from, you know, it's just sort of like a, a an ancestral thing passed down in the blood. And so it's, um, so that's just the mythology has just grown over the years throughout these books. And this is probably the last book in the series. I mean, we'll see, but I'm pretty sure it's the last book. And I, I just wrap up, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this, this demon army, um, this larger demon army that she's inherited. I'm dealing with 
this this uh, race of creatures, the ones that originally imprisoned the demons upon her, they are also hunting her. Um, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that um, she's pregnant, and so she's dealing with impending motherhood. I mean, it's just a lot of things she she has to she has to reconcile in this book, <laughs> and it's it's been a challenge to write, but but it's one that I've enjoyed. Well, I'm ashamed to say I've never read any of those, and <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm looking because I do um, audiobooks occasionally because you know I'm mm-hmm. just trying to find time to to read read like I, I'm I'm trying to read. Um, Brad Meltzer's new book, the the Fifth Assassin, right. and it's just trying to find a time with that. So occasionally I'll do um audio books, you know, when I drive, you know, to and from the the, mm-hmm. the ferry building. So I I notice because I do Audible dot com, yeah, where you know it's great. You know, you subscribe and you get you know two books a month. So I mm-hmm. see that the Iron Hunt is yes. is available. So I wonder. I'll have to see what this narrator is like because a lot of times. <laughs> You know, you, no, you, not all narrators are the same. Yeah, because a lot of times you can have it's 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 just it's hard to to get through it. You know, you want to. I I don't usually give up on books once I start, mm-hmm. but it's like sometimes when you just don't have to write narrator, it's just like, ugh. No, it, it grates on the nerves. So I'm definitely gonna get that one. Start with that. And, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Wait. All right, I will let you go. Um, so thank you so much for joining the podcast. So. Um, definitely have to have you on again if you're willing. Oh, I would love that. And um, I'll send you. I forgot what I was supposed to send you. A couple, couple links. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, one was definitely. I, I'm I'm sure that that Kitty Pride. I think I'm trying to think if it's been reprinted. I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it's got to be reprinted somewhere. You know what? It might. Yeah, I'm sure I can find it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think it'd be in a trade, but who knows? Yeah. And then there is um. There's something else we talked about. Uh, was the book on Super the Lost? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the law ones. I'll I'll send you a link yeah. with the, the title for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, and so now we have to wait till your next issue to find out what's going to happen in North Star. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, issue fifty nine comes out next month. The art. Oh my gosh, Gabriel is turning in amazing pages. Um, he's just done phenomenal work. I mean, everyone has a different has. Let's put it this way, everyone likes different styles from different artists. And so, you know, it's not every style will be your cup of tea, but I just love Gabriel's work on this. I mean, I think he's done, um, from my point of view, writing for him has been a joy. I mean, he's just turned in like amazing, amazing work. And, um, the pages I'm seeing, I think people will be, they're going to love his Nightcrawler. Um, and they're really going to love. He's created some very poignant moments between Northstar and Kyle that are just, especially in light of of their their new troubles, are very poignant. Um, and then it's then we we hit the crossover. We hit the crossover event, and we're really just setting up. This issue sets up sort of all the emotional beats for what's coming. You know, the emotional landscape for why this 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 crossover, why this event begins. Okay. I don't know if you read my, my review for 58, but I had some, a couple issues with, with the art a oh, couple of times. Okay. <laughs> but no, I mean, but I, I think what, what, what I, if I remember what I wrote, um, cause I, I totally get, I, I can appreciate the different styles, you know, that mm-hmm. each artist can bring. And, you know, I, I'm always fascinated by that. It's just for me, you know, there's, there's a couple of moments where it just seemed like something was off a little bit. And, you mm-hmm. know, I, I always hate, 
to, to say that, but, you know, I guess, you know, you kind of have to and, and, but yeah, so that, that, that's good to hear. I mean, there were definitely things I, 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 I liked his interpretation of Warbird. So it was really interesting to, to see that just how, you know, how, how she operated and everything. But, mm-hmm. and then you got the, the Phil Noto covers. Oh yeah. No, Phil Noto, Phil's always great. I mean, Phil's just, Phil's brilliant. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. He. No, I'm really looking forward to his work on Thunderbolts. Yeah, that's um, that's that's, that's we're, we're getting mixed reactions on on that. And um, See, I have to say, and maybe I'm just, I just, I don't know why, I just love that book. I, There's what, something just like crazy and funny and you know crazy and hilarious about it, and that deadpan sort of, I know the mix of Electra with Deadpool and Deadpool and and Venom and Venom and I mean just all of them together, it's, it's wacky. Yeah, because I mean, I I love absolutely love Daniel Way's entire run of Deadpool. It was, it was great. Mm-hmm. I think what it what it might be, and you know, with, with Steve Dillon, you know, I've always said that he really works well in some books, and in other books, it, it just it doesn't quite work. Like mm-hmm. he did um Avenging Spider Man issue. It was basically Peter Parker and Aunt May, mm-hmm. and to me, that didn't quite work. So I don't know if. If that's the the problem, I, I mean, I don't know, but it, it just seems like I'm, I'm hearing some some mixed reviews. So it's it's going to be weird to see when when Phil, I mean, I'm totally looking forward to see what what, what Phil's going to do with it. Well, I mean, Phil has a totally. I mean, I love personally. I love Steve Dillon's work on Thunderbolts. Um, I think he and Dan work very well together. Um, but I, you know, of course, being a huge fan of Phil, um, I'm also very curious to see what what a Thunderbolts with Phil Noto and Daniel Way looks like. Yeah. I mean. I'm, I'm dying to see that. Yeah. Well, you have to use your connections and get to read it. Early. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send Dan an email. Oh. <laughs> hey, by the way. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Marjorie. It's always great. Thank you. Do, you. do you have your, have you figured out your convention schedule yet? I know it's early, but I'm actually. Well, I'm de- yeah, I'm definitely a guest at WonderCon. In Anaheim. So, yes, I will definitely be there. See, it's supposed um, to be in San Francisco. It's It's literally like two blocks from our office, but. Yeah, nope. I, I I won't lie. I I wish it was in San Francisco, but <laughs> Anaheim is not bad either. Yeah, um, yeah. And you got and, Disneyland there. Yeah, and uh, and then I'll definitely, hopefully, fingers crossed. I mean, I can't imagine why I wouldn't be at San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. So I would say I would say um, WonderCon, San Diego, and New York Comic Con are my big three for the year. Okay, I'm I'm hoping to make it to Emerald City. I've never been. Um, yeah, it seems like I have bad luck. The few times I tried to go, each time, each time I said I was going, something terrible happened that prevented me from actually reaching the convention. So I've, I've sort of stopped, <laughs> I've stopped actually even putting that as a possibility. <laughs> okay, well, um, I, I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to be at WonderCon, so I will definitely see you there. Wonderful! I can't wait. Okay, well, thank you again. Thank you. All right, so that was Marjorie Liu, the writer of Astonishing X Men, um, and you know, look at her old stuff. You know, if, if you X twenty three, Dark Wolverine, a lot of good stuff. So, and I'm, I'm definitely, I am going to check out that that Iron Hunt. See, because it just it sounds crazy. So I'm I'm really curious about that. Let's get to some of your questions. Um, so the first question is from Green Candle. So this, uh, let me just clarify. This is the point of the show where. I answer your questions. So there on a general discussion forum, there is a ask G man video question since this used to be a video, which I still do the videos um, 
almost weekly where I take like one question, maybe two. Um, so I'll answer your questions there. You can also ask questions on Twitter. So my, my um, Twitter is Gman from Heck. Use the hashtag AskGman, and we'll get to some of your questions from there. So Green Candle says, um, I hope all is going well with you. I have a question hoping you can um, help me with. I've asked workers at two different comic book shops this question. The first one said he didn't know, and the second one gave what I thought was a pretty good answer, but I wanted your thoughts on it. Why is it a comic book like Re- Revival, which I love, that is ranked 155 on the October sales chart, is a hit and has a bright future, while Legion Lost, another comic I love, ranked 154 and is considered a bomb and is going to be canceled? Um, the reason I got from the comic shop made sense. Um, that should consider DC Marvel to be the network stations of comic books and image Zenoscope and other independent to be the cable stations of the comic book world. What is considered a flop to the network is a hit to cable. Is that the way you see it? Yeah, I would say um, un- the unfortunate way is there's different expectations. If you, And I, I, I feel like the expectations falls on, on the creative team. So if you're writing a book at Marvel or DC, it's going to be expected that you know you, you hit certain goals, that you know, you're going to do certain sales. So while a book like Revival you know, they, they could have the same amount of sales and, you know, some people would say, wow, you know, 155, that, that's kind of low. But, you know, for the publisher, that, you know, that, that, that could be, you know, that's image. So they might be saying, that's great. That's, you know, we're hitting the numbers that we want in order to make this because a lot of it, it's, it's about, you know, make, making a profit. And with, um, with comics, you know, you, there, it, it costs money to make books, obviously, you know, you, you have, you have to pay the writer. You have to pay the, the artist, the colorist, the inkers, and and then the editors. And then there's the printing costs and the distribution costs. So you know there's there's all these factors that need to be taken under consideration. Now the other thing also, if you are a writer at a big publisher or an artist or you know whatever, you're probably going to get paid more. So you know that adds to the costs of the book, and then again it lowers the the margin for profitability. So that seems like a, a perfectly you know good explanation. Where you know you take someone like, like um, Ed Brubaker, you know if you look at the sales of Captain when he was doing Captain America versus when he's doing Fatal or something, you know they're not going to be the same. But you almost have to put them in different categories. So um, that's just the way it is. Um, Green Candle continues. The reason I ask is because the comics I like, I want to be sure to buy them and support them so they don't get canceled. It's a Batman title. I'll wait till a graphic novel comes out so I can get it for 40 or 50% off online and save some money over buying all issues one at a time. I do that because I like so much out there and my pockets are not as deep as my taste. <coughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's the way it is. And, but in some cases, like when we had James Robinson on, you know, when he was doing the Shade miniseries, the 12-issue miniseries, um, it doesn't happen often, but apparently DC w- was considering – canceling the miniseries like they weren't going to finish it and you know and for something like that for a 12 issue miniseries a lot of people might be like well i'm gonna wait till it's collected so i can read it all in one chunk and, and you know do that so that's the unfortunate thing where with the i don't want to say the smaller books but the, the the less um the books that don't don't you know something like batman yeah batman's not going to get canceled if, if you wait till a trade but at the same time you know it has to have the sales you know there has to be a, a balance to that so if you want to support a book, you know, if you want to make sure it's around, if, if it's a, 
a more you know independent book or if, if the sales are lower, then yeah, you, you're probably going to have to buy the individual issues to make sure it sticks around and eventually does get reprinted. But yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Okay, um, see, the next question, I think um, I'm going to, I might do that video style. Um, so, Cal, Kale the Pale, if you're listening, you'll know why I skipped your question. Knighthood says, um, this is my first podcast question. Great, thanks. Um, even though I've been a regular listener, I'm really impressed with what Marvel is doing with Captain Marvel. Not only is she a good female role model, but she kicks ass. Not to mention she isn't some scantily clad strumpet. So with that said, I just want to touch on that. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's great. Um, I know a lot of people weren't crazy about her costume, but I'm a dude. Yeah, you know, I, I like the female body. You know, I'll admit that, obviously. Um, but I don't read comics to see scantily clad female characters. You know, that's that's not for me personally. Some people may may. That's what they do. Great. You know, more power to you. That That's fine. I'm not judging, really. But Miss Marvel, you know, she was such a – she is such a strong character. But before, when she was Miss Marvel, she's basically wearing a bathing suit with, like, a scarf tied around her waist and, and you know, big boots, thigh-high boots or whatever. That always seemed a little weird. So now that, you know, she's Captain Marvel, you know, and she has more of a uniform, you know, it, it totally makes sense. And – I think you know you can have a female character that looks good, that has the curves or whatever, but doesn't have to be wearing like a bikini because it just doesn't make sense. You know, Wonder Woman's like the, the one of the few exceptions that you know she can get away with it. Um, continuing, so with that said, who are your top three female superheroes that are positive role models? Elaborate, por favor. Um, this is gonna be tough. I, I guess yeah, I got to say Kitty Pride. You know, she's one of my my favorite characters. And, you know, she's never been portrayed really as a, you know, scantily clad um, character. She's extremely intelligent. You know, she was, she was always like, you know, near genius. You know, she was a gifted kid. Um, she's got cool powers. She's, you know, she was a headmistress at a school. So she's capable of leading, you know, running to school because obviously Wolverine wasn't doing it. And, you know, now she's taken over the, uh, the young, the all new X-Men. So that's great. And as I mentioned before, she's a ninja. So, you know, how, how cool is that? Um, second, I would probably have to say Storm because, you know, she – what it comes down to, Uncanny X-Men 201, she kicked Cyclops' butt when she didn't even have any mutant powers, when they were, you know, gone or muted or whatever. So, I mean, she's, you know, she's a goddess. She's strong. She's fierce. She's, you know, confident in herself and, you know, she can sport a mohawk and, and, you know, she can kick anyone's butt. You know, she's a natural leader. Um, so now I'm at the point where I need to narrow it down. So I got one more spot, one more character. Um, I, I see if I'm limiting it to one. I mean, maybe I'll go with Wonder Woman because again, she's, she's extremely strong and she can give Superman a run for his money in terms of strength. Um, you know, she's, she's a leader. Um, She's a warrior, so let's just go with that. And and even though she may have a bathing suit, she's her her character has never really been about like the sexuality. You know, that, you know, here's this this female character. So, um, let's go with that. So, Kitty Pride, Storm, and Wonder Woman. Now, probably after this, I'm gonna be like, oh, I said I should have said this character. 
um, Hazmat103 says, quick question. Is Civil War still canon after one more day? Thanks. You guys are awesome. Love the podcast. I would say, yeah, it is. Um, so those events still happen. It's just that people don't remember it. You know, they probably just have a, like a fuzzy memory. Um, you know, it's, I would assume, you know, Spider-Man did reveal his identity on, on camera. Um, where's all that footage? I don't know. Maybe it, it all got warped or deleted or something. Um, someone had asked me before, I don't remember answering, I don't know if I answered it or not, but someone said, when did the Fantastic Four find out again about, you know, Peter Parker was Spider-Man? There was a, an issue, I don't remember the, the number off the top of my head, um, it was after Brand New Day started, where they went into this pocket universe, and they, like, returned there, it was like, like a year later from their first time there or something, and... They saved the day, you know, for the, the the species of you know whatever creatures in this universe, and they erected these statues for the Fantastic Four and Spider Man. Now during this this fight or this battle, you know, when they're this mission, um, Spider Man didn't have his mask, and he was in a in a pocket universe. It didn't matter. Um, but then when they returned there, the statue like didn't have a face or didn't have a head, and they're, they're, then they started realizing. Hey, what's going on? We used to know who you you are. Now we don't. What did you do? Did, did you erase our memories? So they're like just really pissed at at Peter because they had all this trust. You know, he was practically you know, like you know part of the family, and they didn't know what happened, how they were manipulated. And then you know Peter came clean. And he told him, and then he revealed himself. So, um, so I'm assuming that civil war did happen. <laughs> Long answer short. Um, Superbat four twenty. What's um, DC's obsession with number 52. Um, I'm, I'm assuming there is some reason for it. Um, I, I, I should look this up if, if I, you know, wanted to take the time to do it, but I won't. Um, I mean, 52, it, it makes it easy when, when they were doing the weekly books, when they did the 52 series, you know, a comic every week. Um, I, I think, that's they just look at it in terms of that where that's a number that they they grasped onto then they said okay there's 52 universes or earths and they just stuck with that so now we have the new 52 and they you know they're they're set and keeping only 52 titles so um i think that's just that's their number now so they 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 chose it they're stuck with it evolution 2k1 says Blue Beetle's ending, but right after he will appear in Threshold, while Static ended so long ago, we have not seen him anywhere. There's been rumors. Um, um, I'm assuming your question is where is he? Um, but there, I know there was talk that he would uh, appear in, in Teen Titans, and you know he did make an appearance there earlier. But then the other thing is, I don't know if if I've heard some rumblings about the rights, you know, because he was a milestone character. And, you know, that could have caused some of the problems with Young Justice. Um, so I don't know what what the deal is with him. And, you know, it's unfortunate his his series ended. Um, but, yeah, it seems like, put, why you know, the way the Teen Titans is now, why not add him? You know, that would be a perfect fit for him to, to put him there. Um, Evolution TK1 says, I hated Cyborg's old look. His new look is much better, but I feel like he's too bulky. Do you think they'll find a way to make him more streamlined? I, yeah, sure. You know, his dad's always working on him, and, and I'm sure they can compress, you know, the technology or whatever. You know, it's just like 
you look at the old cars, they were these big, huge tanks. And then, you know, now, you know, they can make them a lot more streamlined. Was Roy Harper intelligent pre-New 52? I mean, I know he was above average. Now he, he is a super genius. I don't recall him being overly intelligent. And, and Red Hood and Outlaws, you know, it kind of seemed like he was kind of a doof. But I think that's just part of his, like, his act. And we're seeing now where he's stepping up a little more. And we're supposed to, um, supposed to see more of his background. But I, I could be wrong. I don't think he was a genius before. Um, what is going on with Hellion? Why does it feel like they're destroying his character from the bottom up? Um, I don't know. It's it's I honestly can't remember the last time we saw Hellion if it was in, in X twenty three or not. Um, what do you think of the Luther Strode series? I read that the Strange Talent and and have moved on to the Legend Luther Strode. And I can say for a fact that I'm a hardcore fan. I think it would be an amazing movie if I ever did. I've honestly never read this. I've, I've heard some good things about it, but it's one of those um, series characters that just kind of seemed like it snuck up on me. Like I didn't know about it when it came out, but I've heard some good things about it. So I I, I want to say I, I should look into it. I should try to track it down and, and pick it up. But it, part of it is the time and you know having a million other things to read. But I definitely, if you love it so much, you know I, I should look into that. Um, Blake rules 90. In your opinion, who would win the following fights? Flint, Marco, Sandman versus Clayface. Um, let's see. I would think Clayface would probably, because since there's more consistency to him, you know, that the clay could overcome the sand. Now, it's not necessarily because, you know, Sandman can make himself hard, I know some people are going to chuckle over that one. Um, but some, I don't, I don't know. Um, then again, you know, a lot of times I'm trying to think when was like the last really good Clayface story when we saw him recently in detective comics, but he's, it seems like he's always easily defeated. Hmm. Maybe I, won't, I might be switching my mind going with Sandman now, since it seems like he's done a lot more Catwoman versus black cat. Um, as much as I love Black Cat, I think I'd have to go with Catwoman. Although that's kind of hard to say the way she's written because it's it. I'm not really sure who she is in a New Fifty Two since we've seen a couple different versions. Um, maybe once she joins the Justice League of America, we'll see you know what she's about. Um, Raphael, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Elektra. Um, probably Elektra. Um, you know, I'm sure Raphael would put up a good fight, and he's got his you know his shell to protect him a little. I think I'll go with Electra. Iceman versus Mister Freeze. Um, depends on on if if Bobby can have his head in the game, because um, you know he he could be a lot more powerful than Mister Freeze. Um, and then Goku versus Superman. I don't know if we're not supposed to talk about that. I, I, there, there was the like an unofficial rule that you know you couldn't have Dragon Ball Z characters in the battle, so I don't know if I should add to that. So maybe I'll just and you know, there's it's it's two different universes. It's it's just it's just crazy. Um, okay, uh, Alan Design Ruan on Twitter. 
do you think a Moon Knight Century book could work like a crazy version of World's Finest? There was that issue of Moon Knight where they were together, and yeah, it, it was is a like the cover. I saw you know it's like Moon Knight is you know Century's on a like psychiatrist chair, and Moon Knight's like you know taking notes about that when they're both kind of crazy. Um, one Century is is dead, but that would be a really weird. I'd I'd kind of like to see a miniseries of that. It would be weird. I don't really want Century back. I don't really want a big bright yellow costume, but it could be really interesting to to see that. And what if you even throw through in Deadpool to make it even more crazy? Um, Jeffrey Edge. So there's a Gray Hulk. I actually answered you this, Jeffrey. I don't know if you got my reply. Um, there's a Gray Hulk, Green Hulk, and now Red Hulk. What's the next color Hulk going to be? There is actually a Blue Hulk, but it was only in the Mini Marvels version. So there's actually a Blue Hulk page on comic buying so you can see that he hasn't really made it into the comics um there is one image where i don't know if it was a captain universe or he was kind of blue but i don't think that really counts um and then you got a bomb rick jones who was blue but he's not really a hulk so i think we're good on the hulks right now you know we we have two green hulks you know hulk and she hulk and we have two red hulks i i don't think we need another hulk um, Elwood toasts. Um, let's see. So he sent an image from Justice League International, the the annual where Booster Cold sees um, Superman and Wonder Woman kissing. Um, so he, he says, "What do you think of this? Does this mean they're really destined to break up, crash and burn?" Um, so the reason he asks, so it, Booster Gold's watching this. And then he's like, Superman, Wonder Woman, what the hell? They're together? Is that what needed to be stopped? What's going on? No, give me more, one more chance. One. Then he disappears. So it's like, what happened? So basically, Booster Gold was supposed to do something. Something was supposed to be stopped. He's not wondering, or he's wondering if it was them. Um, Are they destined to break up and crash and burn? The way it seems, you know, we are just, we are still in the infancy stage of their relationship. So I, I, I'm curious to see how it works out. You know, I want to see it. Are they going to be together forever? Probably not because, you know, a lot of us assume, you know, Superman and Lois Lane will someday get back together. They don't need to be together. You know, Lois is perfectly capable of being on her own. But, um, yeah, I don't as, – as much as I want to see Superman and Wonder Woman, I don't, they're not going to be together forever. But let's, you know, give it plenty of time to, to, to see how it works out. Um, DC Fox, do you ever see yourself reading every single issue of a long running series, i.e. 700 plus issues of Amazing Spider-Man? If so, what series? Well, I did that with Amazing Spider-Man, but that was a long time ago. So there wasn't 700 issues. It was a lot easier to go back and read them. Um, I'm having a hard time trying to catch up on Invincible. You know, part of it is because I want to read the, the hardcover trades and, you know, they're a little pricier and, um, and that's only at a hundred issues. Um, I'd I'd like to say I, I would, but I'm also think because I've been reading for for a while. I don't know if if I would go back and read all those. Um, Comicsology makes it a lot easier because you know I, I read occasional back issues there, but some of them are are you know series that I I read and I'm just reading them again because of the convenience there. Um, but I don't know. I mean. 
And, you know, I, I, I would read a lot of the old, like, Batman or Detective Comics or Superman comics because especially, like, the, the Silver Age, you know, there's a lot of goofy stuff there, and it's just it's great reading, you know. So I don't know. Um, DC Fox also said, after listening to the interview with Sean Murphy, do we think there needs to be a comic union um, to protect creators? And um, Sean actually replied to this as well. He said that he didn't think there needed, he himself didn't think there needed to be a union, just that comic creators need to be um, more on it, you know, more aware, more smart about, you know, just careful, cautious about what they do. Um, in case he, if, you know, go back and listen to the, the Sean Murphy one, but um, there is a couple moments where, you know, he had to deal with some, some lawyers from, you know, publishers. So it's just a matter of, of being aware of, you know, what you can and can't do and all that. Um, El Wato says, so is Superior Spider-Man suit red and black now instead of red and blue? Um, it's hard to tell in issue one. I would say it is still, it is, it's, it is hard to say. Um, Looking at at the the variant covers for issue one, um, so the, the regular Ryan Stegman cover where he's he's crawling up and there's webs, it looks like it could be blue. Um, the second cover on the site, it's a uh, um, London convention limited one. Um, it looks like it, like it's it's again that's a little hard to tell. Then there's Jake Scott Campbell, but the Scotty Young one, it's clearly blue. Um, then there's another one, the, the Hastings one. I'm I'm gonna say it probably is blue. The Joe Casada one, which I mean, it's Joe Casada, you know. So he did it blue. They made it blue. So let's just say it probably is blue. Maybe it's just a darker blue now. Uh, Matt O'Shelley, would you rather read The Flash by Hickman and Allred or Daredevil by Snyder and Capullo? <sighs> that. Oh, that's that is a tough one because the Flash and by Hickman with the you know if he added some of the science bit to it you know with, with Barry Allen you know working and and Mike Allred's art that would be incredible. Um, Daredevil by Snyder and Capullo, where we know what they're capable. This it's almost unfair because we know what Snyder and Capullo can do together, um, and just seeing them with Daredevil. Uh, I think I'd almost have to go with the Flash because I I like the Flash a little bit more than I like Daredevil. I not you know I do like Daredevil, but I think I'd like to see Hickman and Allred do the Flash, and then I don't want Snyder and Capullo to leave Batman. Um, Sinku Nuno, why is it so hard for new characters to stick in comics? I like Simon Baz and Harper Road. Do you think they will have a following? Um, I, I would say, yeah, to those, I mean, Simon Baz, um, as I point out when I review the comic season, you know, he's, he's getting to be one of my favorite Green Lanterns. You know, I've always loved Hal Jordan and, you know, he's going to be in Justice League of America provided, you know, he doesn't get like a drastic, um, you know, character attitude change. I think, you know, he has the potential to, to still be popular and, you know, he's, he's, he's already shown if you read last week's issue, you know, he's, he's shown he's proven that he can do things that other lanterns haven't been able to do. You know, he did something pretty big. So I think, you know, he's going to be around for a while. Harper Rowe, we still don't know a lot about her, like what she's about. We know she's supposed to play some role in Batman number 18. And Scott Snyder has said that, you know, he 
wants her to stick around and be, you know, part of the bat universe. So, um, and in that situation, it's kind of like if Scott Snyder says so, then that's probably going to be the case. So I'd say both of them are going to be around for a while. Um, this is KL the flash Seven Eleven. How did you frame that Spidey comic in the background and asking you shall receive answers videos? I'd like to get that done for a few of mine. Um, so I I'm, I don't know if you're talking about the the big giant um, amazing Spider-Man. I think it was forty, the one with Spidey and, and and Green Goblin. That's actually just like I forget the type of print. It was like this weird print, um, and it was it's hand signed and numbered by John Romita Senior. So that I just got a frame for it, and um, I did have the actual issue just in a <laughs> in a, a Mylar bag, and I just pinned it to the wall. So I didn't really do anything like that. Um, so I don't know if you're talking about the big giant picture because that I I've just I happened to, to see the the print and I bought it. Um, and then we have a couple more. Um, Chief Roca zero zero one, can you answer this on Comic Vine? I will answer this now. Who would win in a slugfest? 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 Slugfest between Hulk, Thor, Hyperion, the Century? And Superman. Um, so if they're all fighting, um, this could be tough. I mean, it, it part of it would depend on if, if they're all going at it at once. The smart person would kind of sit back and let the others kind of beat each other up, you know. But obviously, they wouldn't be able to do that. Um, my immediate, I, I would Sentry as as powerful as he is. He's got the the psychological um, problems where you know he could be distracted or, or you know, he can be defeated that way. Hyperion, that depends on on how he's written, which which version we have. Um, Thor is is a, you know a tough guy, <laughs> tough guy, um, and it's, you know you got Superman who's insanely powerful, and then the Hulk who. The matter he gets, the stronger he gets. So, I kind of want to say the Hulk, provided Banner is in charge as well, because you know you need that intellect, so someone just can't outwit him. Um, and Superman would would put up a good fight. Thor, it's hard to say. I mean, Thor would be up there. You know, I, I would put him over Hyperion and Sentry, but. I, I kind of want to go with either Hulk or Superman, but I'm kind of leaning more towards Hulk, which maybe I don't know. Because I mean, couldn't Superman just like grab him, dart out into space, and just drop him out there, and then he wins? So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it would be Superman, but Hyperion would probably fight dirtier. And our last question is from also from Chief Roca zero zero one. Who would win in a fight between Deathstroke and Taskmaster? So this is a tough one. Um, now, also, I'm, I'm not, I, I can't say I'm 100% certain of Deathstroke's um, abilities and limitations in the New 52 because I, I did stop reading for a little bit and I, you know, I started reading again. Um, Taskmaster... Obviously, he has a lot of set skills from all the observations he did. You know, he has different fighting powers. 
So part of me wants to say Taskmaster because he has all those abilities. And, you know, provided Deathstroke doesn't, like, defeat him right away, you know, he could learn some stuff from just observing Deathstroke's moves. Um, Deathstroke, even though Taskmaster is not necessarily, you know, like an honest guy, um, Deathstroke would definitely fight dirtier. So he could possibly catch Taskmaster off guard because Taskmaster, try saying that really fast several times. Taskmaster, Taskmaster. Um, I don't know if Taskmaster would be prepared to fight someone that would fight like Deathstroke would fight. So I'd, I'd want to say Taskmaster because he has the potential to have you know different fighting abilities and all that. We've seen Deathstroke take on the entire Justice League in um, Identity Crisis, but it, it would be a tough one. I want to say Taskmaster, but I could be wrong the more I think about it, and I shouldn't think too much about it. Anyways, that is the podcast for this week. So I know um, this was a, a little shorter. I apologize, but you will get more next week. So thank you for listening. As always, if you have questions, go to the general forum. Go to the Ask G-Man video thread. Put some questions there. So um, I finished page 28, so I'll start page 29 next time. On Twitter, um, G-Man from Heck is my, my Twitter name, so you can at reply me. Um, also use the hashtag AskGMan, and I'll answer your questions. So um, I always mention you know, the unfair advantage to um, asking on Twitter is those questions tend to disappear sooner because Twitter does their weird things where you know they don't keep everything you know, you you have to find the archive somehow. I don't know. So that's the show. Thank you to Marjorie Liu. So she, if you ever met her, she's like one of the nicest people in history. I always love talking to her. Um, great writers. Read Astonishing X-Men. Um, just the whole legality stuff that North, North Star is dealing with. Uh, that's got, got me. I'm, I'm interested. I'm, you know, I didn't really think. Reading the, the thread, you know, popping up where, you know, we, we see the bits of it where in um, – you know, ICE was looking for him. That's I'm really curious to see what she does with that. So it's it's going to be very interesting reading. So that's the podcast. Thanks again, and ask your questions, and I will answer, and I will talk to you guys next week. So, so my, question my question is, is who could it be? We don't know. And I would like to ask which comic book does affect you most emotionally? Yeah, yeah. That's the question. I'll shake your head. I love Alan. This is a John Byrne issue. I love Alan Davis. I, I, I wasn't a fan of this. That's the question. You can't blame the immediate creative team. I give this a two. <laughs>